0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Svarim Chatter podcast. On this episode of the podcast, I'm going to be joined once again, for the third time, by Professor Lawrence H. Schiffman, who is the Judge Abraham Lieberman Professorship in Hebrew and Judaic Studies at NYU. And we will be discussing Josephus, particularly now as the three weeks, or will be three weeks, um, discussing the Jewish war, and uh, just in general, his works and, and him and what he, you know, about his life. So thank you very much, Professor Schiffman, for joining me once again. Thank you. How was you Good, Baruch Hashem. Okay, so let's just jump right into it. Who was Josephus? And, uh, you know, give a, a bio about his life. Well, first of all, let's give a one-sentence ID. Josephus was the most important
1: ancient Jewish historian who prepared for us several works which give the history of the Jewish people from the earliest times all the way through the destruction of the Temple and uh, the years shortly after when uh, Jews were taken into slavery and things from the temple were taken to Rome. And he spent his last years in Rome. He had started out as a Kohen priest in Yerushalayim, was born in about the year 37. He died something around 100, living uh, in Yerushalayim and, as I say, ending his life in Rome. In the middle, he tried to study with all of the Jewish sects of the time, although he considered himself to be a pushi, a Pharisee, was a Kohen who served in in the temple. And he also, when the revolt broke out, was initially a general on the side of the rebels. And after having to surrender rather than commit suicide at Yotvat, he, which is called the Jatapata in English, he uh, went essentially, I don't want to say to the Roman side, but rather to the side of telling the Jews that what they were doing was suicidal and joined those Jews who opposed the revolt after his failure as a general. And he went on and had to write this fantastic historical work.
0: So obviously there's going to be much more we'll discuss about Josephus and about the works that he wrote, that he wrote, or ones that are kind of ascribed to him. But I think perhaps we should start off right now with just a quick, you know, synopsis of the revolt and then the subsequent destruction of the Besamikdash, as I guess relayed by Josephus.
1: Okay, you have to start already in 63 BCE, when the Romans conquered the land of Israel from the last of the Hasmonean in the all this is related in Josephus's War because Josephus understood that the whole business that led to the destruction of the Temple and the war with the Romans, the Rev, the, the revolt of sixty six to seventy three CE, started with the decline of the Hasmonean. Because the decline of the Hasmonean led in turn to several things. First, it led to the fact that when the Romans conquered Eretz Yisrael there were little guerrilla groups that started fighting against them from day one. And eventually, that guerrilla war morphed into the real revolt, starting in 66 CE. The second thing that one has to understand about the decline of the Hasmoneans is that it led in between to the appointment by the Romans of a variety of procurators who were not good rulers, but also of the semi-Jewish King Herod, who ruled over the country, depending on how you want to date it, but let's just say from 38 thir- from 38 BCE to his death in 4 BCE. This is very important because on the one hand, this is the period when you have the building of Kaysaria and Masada turned into a fortress, and you have the building of what we call the second base of which is actually the third building in the second temple period, right? It's the third building that was there that he substituted for the previous building, was much smaller, right? I'll just say off the topic that the previous building is the one described as a mission of Bedo, and that his building is much bigger than that. At any rate, so, and then finally, in the years leading up to the revolt, Josephus tells us about how the terrible procurators were overtaxing the people, etc. Then, The revolt breaks out in 66 in a very complex way. But the first thing that happens is that long simmering hatreds started to pop up and a group of colonists decided to stop giving the offering in honor of the emperor. Now, somehow or another, you have to understand at this time that for the Romans who were ruling, the capital was Caesarea, Caesarea. For some reason, Just after that, the non-Jews in Caesarea went on a rampage, and according to Josephus, they killed 20,000 Jews in an hour. Now, this could be exaggerated, but they killed a lot of Jews, and basically killed all the Jews of Caesarea. This, in turn, led Jews all over the northern part of the country to turn on the non-Jews and turn what had earlier been a Yerushalayan faith struggle into a struggle all over the country. And what Josephus then describes is the battles all over, the Galilee especially, eventually the battle of Yushalayim where the different Jewish forces that were, there were six different Jewish rebel groups were actually killing each other in Yushalayim, not killing the Romans. And he describes this whole process and how eventually the Romans bring in sufficient legions to conquer Yushalayim, and then, of course, I think everybody knows that from there, they took many, many slaves to Rome, a lot of money, because we have an account that says that the Colosseum was built with that money, and the menorah and many other things to base a Makhna. But a small group of rebels then held out in Masada. And it was in the year 73 that the Romans finally conquered Masada and that the war came to an end. Everybody probably knows the story that Josephus relates about the suicide of the fighters, I'm not sure if suicide's the right, the right word because they killed each other, they killed their families and they killed one another of the Jews in Masada, And actually many scholars are not sure that that event ever, ever took place, but nonetheless that, that Masada was the last battle in the Jewish revolt against Rome. And that all of that is related in excruciating detail in the Jewish war by Josephus.
0: Right. I mean, I mean, I guess you're talking about the last part, also the whole the whole thing. I mean, the whole book is there's a lot of names in the beginning. There's a lot of fighting, like you said, politics, bickering. Everything's rela- re- related. related.
1: Well, the reality is that there were six rebel groups and these six rebel groups could not work together. and They fought each other. And because they fought each other, by the way, you get a sense of this. And they bore it in Kitten. The story there about Sikra, And I you mean, know, well, if you look at those stories, you can see. The whole idea of Kamsa Bar Kamsa, which is a story designed to tell us that people couldn't get along with one another, but then if you keep going, you see that it's describing the very situation we're talking about—about what was going on in Jerusalem in the last years. And when you read Josephus's description of of the starvation and of the horror that was going on there because of the siege and all the rest of it, you can you can see how the Gemara is just giving you a small part of that terrible story.
0: Right and and I don't know if you want to relate any other specific stories. I mean there's there's a lot that he relates in in the Jewish war, other parts that you think are specifically important. I always point to on onishmov just the way he's actual it, it's unfortunate, it's very poignant and riveting in a, in a bad way. His description of the destruction of the Besa and the whole Yerushalayim. it's very it's graphic. Very
1: about, one thing to careful when you read this is that Josephus took the language and the motifs of echa because of the fact that, as he says at the very end, that the destruction took place on the same day, Never mind that it's actually, depends which dating you take, but it's not important. But it it was almost the same day. But at any rate, the point is that what Josephus is, in a certain sense, saying is that this is a repeat of the forebond of the first place of MacDach, and he's saying it by using certain terminology. So I think one doesn't have to necessarily believe that women were eating their children in the second place of MacDach, right? And I don't even know if they were eating it in the first place. of these are literary ways of describing the horrors of what was going on there. But when you read Josephus, you get a sense that you're—we're you're, not used to this because in modern times wars aren't allowed to proceed; they have—they're always being stopped. But the truth is that war was a horror on a level that we can't even imagine in, in our kind of modern life. And uh, I mean, there are people who live through this, obviously, that we know. But uh, it, it, the horrors of what was going on there, I don't want to make any comparisons because any comparisons you make turn out to not be valid. But the horrors that are going on there, right, that Josephus relates, you can see what it must have been like. And they were destroying each other because of the non-unified sense.
0: Right. I mean, that's what I'm saying is that it's very graphic and, and you, you can kind of feel it. You know, you read the, the his description, of, of, of the korban and what was going on um, is, is, is is quite um, gripping. Um, I, think, I think you
1: you get a very different sense because the truth of the matter is that when you read, say, Nachem on Tishvah, that little paragraph that you said, it doesn't really give you any sense of what really happened. And most of the kinos, well, they don't have details of the Second Temple because the sources that they had available to them were ironically about later persecutions like the Destruction of the of communities of shum, you know, fire, varmiza, you know, worms and fire, uh, you know, fire worms and and, and uh, mites, right? And somehow or other, these things and and they sort of replace the story of the real thing. I've always wondered about this. I've always wondered why we don't read even from the destruction of the first half, the passages that describe the destruction out of the Tanakh. Most people have no idea. How the destruction of Bayat Rishon happened, and that's in Tanakh. Why? Because those chapters are at the end of the book, and no school ever gets beyond what para, cat, cat, Right? The whole year when they study these books. So people who've studied Tanakh for years don't have ever read that story. When it comes to Josephus as well, I've almost thought about making the source, a source book for Tisha Tishbar which would also, by the way, the poetry describing the medieval persecutions during the First Crusade. We have exact accounts from eyewitnesses to those events, but yet we don't read historical accounts. We read complex poems that we don't, most people don't understand.
0: Right, which is why, Josephus, so I, I, I think I'm going I, so first of all, I want to mention that, and I'll put the link in the show's notes, there is an uh, Oxford World Classics edition, uh, with the new translation by Martin Hammond and, and notes and introduction by Martin Goodman. That's it's it's fourteen something dollars on Amazon. Very affordable. You can get the whole thing, it's nice. I mean, I, I'm just pulling out a random part. I'll read two sentences, three sentences here just so people could feel. I think this is to me, he says, I'm gonna read this translation. Yet more terrible than the noise was the human suffering. The temple hill, one huge mass of fire, seemed to be boiling over from its very roots. But you would have also seen the rivers of blood outrunning the flames and the killed outnumbering the killers. Nowhere could the ground be seen, for the corpses covering it, and the soldiers have to clamber over piles of bodies to pursue those still trying to escape. And he goes on and on, and I'm just pulling out a random part, but you see it, he's literally explaining pages what's going on.
1: Pages after pages after pages. But the important thing about what he does is that he traces, starting already with the period of the explosion, all the way up to explain the causes and how it came about. And all the rest of this. And the other thing is, what's interesting is, he himself at the end is giving speeches of people to surrender, which is why people think he was a traitor. And he has a long quote of a speech. And whenever Josephus has a speech, he wrote it. It's not the original speech. He has a speech of Agrippa. Now, this is Agrippa second. But at any rate, the point is, Agrippa the second. the point is that if you look at the speech, you'll see that he presents all the reasons for why it's hopeless to revolt and why all it could lead to is destruction of the country and, and, and of Now I was giving a lecture somewhere, and I said in a, in a synagogue, I said that, as you can see, Josephus was right, because had they stopped and made some kind of a deal with the Romans, they could have saved the Mesa Biknag and saved a lot of people from being killed. So somebody said to me, oh, I could see what you think about Israeli politics. I said, no, actually, you can't see anything about what I think about Israeli politics, but the reality is that the destruction might have been stopped, and people realized that there was no hope of winning against the Romans. Let me mention why. It's very important to understand why Judea was so important to Rome, because Rome was facing off the Parthians. The Parthians were the Iranians who ruled over Mesopotamia during this period. This is, we could say, roughly, for to make this uh, simple, Right? They ruled over, in this period, up through the end of the period of the mission. The Amorim are being ruled by a different Iranian dynasty, the Sasanians, who rule over also Babylonia slash Iraq. Because in this period, it wasn't being ruled by natives, it was being ruled by Iran. Now, the point that you have to realize is that the Romans had to hold the Iranians at bay, these uh, Parthian Iranians. They had to be held in vain because they were seeking to invade the empire. And in fact, they actually did it because in 40 BCE, there was a period, that's when, when Herod went to Rome to get made into the king, the Parthians invaded Eretz Israel. And they actually held it while siding with some uh, revolutionaries from the Kashmona Inn. So the Romans were very serious about making sure the Parthians could not come west and Eretz Israel was a bulwark for this, and therefore there was no way they were going to let it go independent since they correctly knew that the Jews in Eretz Israel felt close to their fellow Jews who were in the Parthian Empire of Babylon.
0: Right. So I think at this point we should. Kind of address the couple of questions that are floating around regarding Josephus. Cause obviously we're not going to go into more in depth in, in, into the actual work. People should read, it, you and, read it. Yeah, like I said, you should read it. And uh, it's very important to readings for the three weeks coming up now. And 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 I this probably will be released in Shival Sabatama, so it's very appropriate for the, for the time. But you know, obviously we'll address, you already alluded to the traitor question. I mean, let's start off from simply just what was his what was his attitude to the Torah and to, to, Jew, to from people, the Jewish observance? You said he said it was a crucial.
1: What we know about his view about Jewish observance comes not simply from historical accounts who are there, but in the beginning of the antiquities, he has a whole repeat of the Torah where he summarizes the Torah and has a beautiful section, several of his books. Now, books in this case means parts of his whole work are accounts of the Torah and Halacha, Jewish law, all given according to what in those days was a serious observance of the law. We also know that Josephus had three wives at different times. We know as a fact that two of them were Jewish. The third one we don't know anything about. It's not that we have some suspicions. We just don't know who she was. But we know the two of them were Jews, and he talks as a loyal Kohen all the time. And if you read the section just at the end when the temple was destroyed and you see how bad he feels and his emotions and all this, right? I mean, it's very clear that he was a loyal Jew. And we need to remember that even if he started out as a one of the, the, the rebel generals and failed, we need to remember that there were large numbers of Jews that were against rebelling. We can call them pro-Roman, not because they loved the, the Romans, but because they realized that the rebellion against Rome would be the fiasco that it was. So Josephus became part of that group. We know there were whole towns in which the people did not want to join in the revolt. And the Dalio, Josephus, tells us that. And the reason was that we convinced it had to fail. And they were right, it did fail. By the way, we should say in parentheses: one of the reasons it failed was because all the rebel forces, when the Romans came after them, fled to one place, Line. So therefore, the Romans had to surround Line, had to conquer Line. Had they fled to different places in the country, each would have been wiped out. But the city of that would
0: have been destroyed. I want to just uh, expl- mention that the, the, we talk about antiquity of the Jews, Kadmonius or Kadmoniot That was his other work, a uh, bigger work. That that one, unfortunately, you can correct me if I'm wrong, the Hebrew one was just re- reprinted in Mossad Bialik. Oh, it was edited by, I think, Avram Shalit. So that's two, it's in two volumes, you can get it. But the English, I think the lobe is, is the best that there is, really. The lobe
1: is the best one. It's very impo- expensive because it also has the Greek. The problem of antiquity is no one should read Wiston. Wiston is the one you get for $5 or $5 or $10. You get what's worth $10. I will admit that I sometimes look at it to check a reference because it's one volume, and I don't have to go picking out which volume it is. But it's not really something that you should use. And however, having said this, right, the problem with the is expensive. And uh, the truth the truth be told, the Greek puts an awful lot of people. And they're not likely to put out an edition, which is you know the English only. It's not what the Loeb Classics does.
0: Right, It's Loeb Classics through Harvard University Press. But the thing is, I would—it's not super expensive. But the problem is, they're like thirty-five dollars a volume, and you need like six of them, seven of them, so it becomes expensive. Ten volumes, just ten. Okay, there you go. So it, it, it... Milo also. So they right, yeah. they, have, they have followed. Right, so the Hebrew is more, you know, is more you can get. I mean, like I said, the Oxford World Classics for cheap did a great job. I don't know if they're going to do antiquities. I have no Maybe idea. Maybe they are. Right, I know. I have no idea. So, okay, so that, that that's that's one thing. Now, um, there's obviously, we, we I don't know if you want to mention his other works. Once we're here, he has the a couple other, other, other main, works. The
1: other two main works, against Apion, by the way, talk about Jewish loyalty. Against Apion is a polemic against an anti-Semite. And it's a a fantastically fascinating work. Now, Apion was a first century anti-Semite. Josephus was fighting anti-Semitism as a loyal Jew. And then he has his life. Now, the problem about the life is that it's very suspicious because in the life, he's defending his failure as a general. Now, we don't have another work of one of his prime enemies, a guy named Justice. And if we had justice, we'd have another view about what Josephus was really doing during the revolt. And we're really not sure how much to trust the life. And that's a different uh, problem. But reading his own self-proclamation is, is in a certain sense, a very worthwhile thing to understand his personality. He is a personality who eventually, remember, he goes to Rome because he's being supported by the emperor's family. That's why he takes on the name Flavius. Flavius is... name of the surname of the emperor vespasian who became emperor in the middle of the jewish revolt of his family and of course the family of his son titus that won the war against the jews and it's very important to realize that his identity is a torn identity on the other hand he's a loyal jew to the end there's no question he never deviates from that anything that he wrote or said or did
0: so, I mean, let's go there. So, everyone, you know, you were in the, someone, heard, maybe people heard of Josephus. Oh, he's a traitor. You know, so, I mean, what do you, what, what's the answer to that?
1: This is what is a traitor? Is a traitor who's somebody who speaks against a, a, a military action or revolt that eventually would fail and did fail? Or is a traitor somebody who fights on the other side? He never fought on the other side. He did stand in front of the walls of Yushalayim telling people that they should surrender. No question, he did that. And he did that because he thought he could save the base of Icta. And he could save the people inside who were, I don't want to say destined, maybe in one word. Oh no, he would say destined, Josephus. Because, not because, it's funny, Josephus believes in free will. But what he means to say is that once those events were set into action, from his point of view, there was only one possible end that the Romans would win. He saw that from his own failed experience as a military leader, where the Jews had no fault against the Jews.
0: So why do you think today, if you tell someone Josephus, a uh, front person, especially you may know that usually the reaction is, "Oh, he was a liar. He was unreliable. Even even some you know it makes no sense because Josephus, from a certain Latin translation,
1: turned into translated into Hebrew is called Yosephon. Now Yosephon is not really Josephus because, as I say, someone took a Latin translation and adapted it for a community like Rashi. And the who are reading and using this work. So, the funny part about it is when somebody speaks so negatively about it, the, the truth is it is the same guy, even in a secondary guise, if I could use that word, that these great people were reading and using and quoting. So, I would just say that I think the problem here is that it's very easy to look at a complex character who did things that many people don't like. For a reason i'm not sure by the way i'm really not certain why the rebels are naturally supported by everybody today that is anyone you talk to thinks the rebels were right it was a great thing that they did but who says that they were right that it was a great thing they did now the truth is that this goes with the militaristic ideology in the modern jewish community and the better or for worse many modern jews are militaristic in regard their, to their positions in Israel, when they live thousands of miles away and don't have to pay any price for that. But the point is that there's some strange fact that almost all elements of the Jewish community are convinced that the, that the revolt was correct and that it was a thing to do. So let me point out something very important. There was no real official interference in Jewish religious life that led to the revolt. It's not the Maccabean Revolt where religious persecution comes into the story. They were often on, if you read Josephus, in war and in in, uh, Antiquities, they were often on rulers who did things that we would regard as anti-Semitic or against freedom, let's call it freedom of religion, but not a consistent policy, and usually it stopped by appeals to the emperors or bribes or something, and generally was stopped. So that when a group of Kohanim decided to stop their offerings to in, in, in honor of the uh, emperor, they were running on, in free will the base of it, according to the way they were supposed to be running it. The Romans weren't interfering with in the way it proceeded, so that was the thing that that caused many people to be against the revolt. They realized that what's going to happen here is the temple is going to be destroyed, the Jewish people is going to be defeated, and it's hopeless, and they were they were against it. So to then turn and assume that these are all traders, I don't know. But I think it's simply because of the assumption that today, for whatever reason it is, there's a kind of uh, support for this. but you have no idea whether it was a good idea or not.
0: Let me go back to what you said in the beginning over there. First, first of all, you see FUN, there's... Really, three, I guess, editions today. One is that two volume just reprint, that's not really any good. The Hamid yeah. one is the classical Yasifun in a nicer yeah. version. And then there's Flusser, there's two volumes that actually is available in as well of, of Yesifun. What's interesting to note is that you said, I'll ask you about the differences if, between Yasifun and Josephus, but even before that, what's interesting is, like you say, Rashi and tells has to reshine him quote see and they thought it was Josephus and they give it that Hashivas of, of a historian. They do Perfect. accord that the information that no one else has. Because <laughs> let's face it, 90 something percent of it, 98%, I don't know, is, is, is simply correct facts. And that's what I'm saying. What's interesting is they do the Rishonim do seem to describe you know Hashivis state while people tell it, like, oh, it's unreliable, it's terrible. Don't read it. But they seem to have given it, it's that it a completely
1: different attitude. Now the thing about the Flusser edition. First of all, the fluceration has great the value with introduction really explains where Joseph came from. He discusses the changes in a systematic way. I'll give you, I don't study Joseph so closely, I'll give you an area though where you can find a, a change which is quite interesting. So there's some problems in Josephus regarding the dates given for the Forban and the various things that happened around the Forban of the first temple and the second temple like when the walls were breached and things like this, right? That link up, that are somewhat different than the Vishnu and Gemara and Tani that tell the same information. So Yosifam left out all the dates. He simply left it out. No no problem, no dates. Right? I accept Tisha Bob, obviously. He left out all the rest of the dates. Never mind The Tisha Bala's a question too between Yirmiyahu and Malachi. Right? But but at any rate, the point is, that's how he handled it. So there's an example But uh, also, he leaves out, of course, all the stuff that's just about moments. Josephus, there's all kinds of information that nobody, the average Jew doesn't need, you know, he goes off to talk about some battle at the place and who knows where. Now, Josephus can be the most important source for ancient history on these stories, but but you doesn't really need it for Jewish history.
0: And that's something else that I want to get to, which is something else I think he leaves out, is that there are controversial "Quote unquote" comments in Josephus, no, you know, number number one, I guess. I mean, defends uh, T- Titus, he defends him. Titus, he goes in there. He and says, didn't want to burn the basement, but he was upset about it, and, right?
1: Well, it he <inaudible> 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 right, that they that that wall couldn't be destroyed. The Romans wanted, but you know, he does that He claims that, that that Titus didn't want to destroy the temple. Look, the whole story that Josephus tells about how one of the Jews set fire to the ramp that led into the temple so that the Romans wouldn't be able to get in. And then that fire spread. And that's an example of his point, that the Romans did not want to destroy the temple. The temple was one of the wonders of the world. But they the Jews defended themselves inside the temple and then themselves, according to Joseph's account, were burning stuff down. Well, if you read the earlier accounts of Jews killing each other, these different groups, that come in, and, you know, these, the, the Shimon Bargiora's men, and John of Kishala's men, Yohanan Gushchalav, all these people, by the way, everybody who eats Gushchalav cheese in Israel, which is the closest cheese to American cheese before they started importing it in the U.S. or making pseudo-American cheese, needs to know that Gushchalav is what's in English, Kishala, which refers to a hill in the Golan, which looked very white. But at any rate, from where he came. so the point that I'm making, all these guys, the Zealots, the Kanaim, they're not the same people. They're fighting, the Sicarii, they're all fighting against one, one another and killing each other in Yushalayim. And when you realize that, you can understand that Jews might have actually lit on fire some of these battle scraves leading into the temple in order to stop the Romans. And this is what Josephus says, that Titus didn't come to destroy the temple.
0: There's, there's also obviously his cl- his claim that he was the one who told Vespasian he'd be emperor and not the Gemara says, that's another... I- right, problem, look, this
1: is the problem in general. Look, I'll tell you, to go back in history, Josephus tells a story about Choni Amar Now, everybody knows the story that Choni Amar went to sleep with Rip Van Winkle and he came back and he he couldn't, fa- when he woke up, you know, no one knew who he was. His own grandson didn't know he was, so he didn't want to stay around in this world. But that's the bobbly because the bobbly had a problem that he lived through. Long. The Talmud, Hushalmi, is a very simple answer. There were two people with that name, and those two people lived at different times. And that's what the bobbly is solving. Why do I tell this story? Because Josephus tells what must be the truth about what happened to Cody Amand Josephus tells us that when Aristobulus and Hyrcanus were fighting, and what happened was, O'Connor was outside with the Romans supporting him. Aristobulus was inside the base of Mekdash, and everybody knows that story about raising up the, the, the Corbanos and then he stopped raising them up anyhow. So Josephus tells the story that the followers of O'Connor brought Tony Amagale and, and they told him to pray that he should be victorious over the people inside. And what Tony Amagale said basically was this He said, These are your children, and those are your children. May it be your will that these should not hurt those, and those should not hurt these. And a Roman soldier took out a sword and killed them. That's Josephus' story of the death of on again. Now, since the Bible shall me have two different versions, according to the Yerushalmi, this could be. The point I mentioned is this is an example of the problem. There's a whole new set of volumes that was published in Israel by some scholars about the issue of how to square Josephus with the Gomorrah. And there are many problems like that. If you take the Gomorrah literally there are many places where the same story is told in both, but the truth be told, it's not exactly historical data. And it may or may not be historical data in either one. We really don't know whether either one of these people told Vespasian that he was going to be heaven, right? But at any rate, uh, especially by, but, but one way or another, right, we have the account for both of them and need to, to deal with that in some way or another. But, uh, I think there's a lot
0: of, of discussion of this, yeah. so that's been Yusifus Lechazal, a two volumes uh, Yad Yitzhak Ben uh, yeah. And uh, another thing that i that I do want to mention um is anyone that does read uh, every to some extent. there's a really beautiful volume, a really terrific edition of the of the Jewish war of Mohammmed Yehudim, uh, which was put out through Carmel publishing. It was printed a, a number of times, um editions, like right after it came out, you know, so. Yeah, that's a very, very good job. Terrific notes, footnotes. It's just done, it's done very nicely as well. Um, but like I said, I'll include the link to the actual, and I can include the link to that as well. Um, I'll include a link to a couple of these stuff, whether or not people have the ability to get books from At least they know they exist, so they can click on it and see what it is. Exactly. And, and you know, just to end off over here, I mean, I think people, like I would, you, you would encourage them to read Josephus in the actual inside. I
1: would say that the reading of Josephus is a fantastic opportunity to find out what really was going on. The truth is that in the traditional Jewish sources, there is almost no information for vast periods of time for which Josephus provides us not only the only account, but one which really sounds that it's basically correct. You have to be careful. Historians don't take anything for granted we have ways of reading critically to try and understand what is accurately being told and what not, especially because ancient historians don't work like modern historians. Their job is to make the story go. They're part fiction writers, even inside their historical account. So we know how to look for that. And that's why it's a good idea to read some works that tell you how to evaluate sources. But having said that, Josephus is our main source for so much fascinating information unbelievably fascinating information, some of which uh, may be reflected here or there in the regular traditional sources, but the rest of which is simply not. And by the way, the other book which fits into the same thing is the two books of Maccabees, one and two Maccabees, although Josephus doesn't have two Maccabees, he only quotes at length one Maccabees, his whole story in Tonica is the one Maccabees story, but the reality is that those books fit into the same category, and these are works which can fill in for us a tremendous amount of our history, and uh, again, needs to be read the way we read ancient historians—not read as if every single piece of information there is yeah. fact, and so they may not know certain things. But it's definitely worthwhile
0: reading, right? And, 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 and like I said, I feel like it's very poignant. It's very graphic, and it, it really—it relates the to... aspect to
1: Josephus's witnessing the destruction, which is not going to be gotten across to anybody. I, I hate to say it because it's sad to say it, but by reading poems that they don't understand. And, and this is the problem, that we spend a lot of time reading poems that, sadly, most people can't understand. And Josephus, spending a little time in the afternoon, I'm gonna I say something unpopular, but we're not supposed to watch movies about Russian horror on vision. We are supposed to be talking about what happened and the destruction. And uh, the point I would make is that in doing so, looking at some parts of Josephus is a very good way to get a sense, as is looking at, say, in town, to get a sense of what happened in the first four on in ways that you sadly don't get from poems that people don't understand.
0: Anymore. Right. I mean, especially book six and seven, I think, towards the end. And as like you're saying, it makes you feel the Avelos more than reading the Kinnis, unfortunately, which you have to have a whole speech to barely understand.
1: It's terrible, 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 terrible horror. And the problem the of problem the keynotes is that A, they didn't have a lot of the information. B, even when you read it, the people don't. Know. I'll give you a small example. I gave a talk some years ago. Right? We have a, a keynote for the burning of the Taliban. All right, read the keynote for the burning of the Do You know how historical, exact data we have about those events that we add added to what is in that beautiful keynote? So much information. And this is the case with virtually every keynote. As as I uh, mentioned to people often, we have several direct eyewitness accounts for the persecutions in the First Crusade that are given also in some of the keynotes. And so the point is that even there also, we have enormous information about these events that are described in poetic terms. And as I said about three times, sadly, no one understands it anymore. And so we're in a situation in which we're not seeing what really happened. And if we read these sources, Josephus, the Taras, we would actually have a sense, much better sense of what, what really happened. And I think therefore that everybody, not that shouldn't say but we should all take it upon ourselves, maybe in advance or maybe in the afternoon, to take a little time reading these things and seeing uh, what, what happened, why it is that this tragedy was so great.
0: Right. right, And like I say, I can't emphasize enough that Josephus is gripping in, in the negative sense, where it really takes you and it really shows you, you know, what happened. You really feel it rather than, like you're saying, he reading. He
1: has so much data because apparently he interviewed people and stuff like this because he was there.
0: Right. hundred percent. So I'll include the links. And um, thank you again, Professor Schiffman. You're for
1: welcome. And uh, let's hope that this will be the last time we have to discuss these tragedies.
0: Amen. Thank you.